Hey, this is Dan Grubb, and that is Aaron Fletcher-Smith, and this is the Dan and Aaron Lycorama. Music! <laughs> Sex. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, uh, so yeah, the Dan and Aaron Lycorama, every episode... We talk about something that we really like. Mm-hmm. That's that. That's it. Yep. There you go. And uh, I really like sex. No, that's not true. Uh, actually, Ew. I do, but still. Um, no, this is per this episode. Burnham. Yeah, I'll take it. Um, this episode, I wanted to do this um, because it is June, because it is Pride Month, um, woo, woo, woo. because there are... A handful of folks that I know that are friends and colleagues that listen to this uh, podcast that are part of the LGBTQ community, and also because this is a a neat bit of Trek history, and um, I know way too much about Star Trek, um, both from yep. the in universe and from the kind of in real life uh, cultural impact perspective. Because one of the things that I did, um, basically from like. 1994 through about 2005 was read every possible uh production direction and creation book i could get my hands on uh, the story of creating star trek from gene roddenberry's perspective from shatner's perspective from nimoy's perspective from harv bennett's perspective from nicholas meyer's perspective anybody who directed star trek um, anybody that had, you know, a heavy hand in the process of, you know, making sure that Star Trek remained alive. Uh, I just, I wanted to know as much about the process of bringing the idea of, of Trek to the screen as I did about, you know, uh, you know, the, the USS Stargazer is NCC 2893 and the USS Reliant is NCC 1864 and Reliance command oh codes for the, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, um, and, so, and so, but this episode is not about the Star Trek TV show. It's not about the Star Trek movies. No. It's not about the Star Trek licensed novels. No. As a matter of what fact, is, what exactly is this episode about? This Star Trek, uh, this this podcast is about uh, something that the Star Trek licensed properties tried to stay away from for a very long time, which is slash fiction now oh, man for those that are unaware of what slash fiction is or me, like me barely aware yeah yeah let me give you a quick breakdown so <laughs> slash fiction has been around for a very long time apparently and and i i discovered this recently when i was writing up a, a long thread about this on twitter um some slash fiction dates back as early as the Arthur Conan Doyle era with ardent fans of Sherlock really? Holmes. Yes. What ardent if, fans what of if Sherlock Holmes. Holmes and Watson were an item. Right, right. With apparently a, a, a little hangers on that existed in the LGBTQ literature community was this Ooh. kind of wink and a grin of Holmes was always a woman uh, or Holmes was always the woman right ah, um, interesting. yeah and so let's let's talk about the concept of slash slash is um the gay community um 
finding um, uh, the, uh, the, the love that they are looking for and that they are desiring in the characters that they're seeing on screen. The, the, this comes back to the idea of the cultural uh, absorption and interpretation of the message that is associated with the, um, the, the media production that gets put out, whether it's film or, or TV or books or whatever. Um, (laughs) there's the Margaret Mead interpretation, which is the media is the message. And then there's, um, the, the, you make it your own, the cultural appropriation, right? Where it's, I'm going to take this media and I'm going to take from it what I enjoy. Right. Um, it's, this is the very thing that the, the, the meta process of taking media away and making it your own to be honest, is one of the reasons that we have things like toxic Star Wars fans and um, the the whole jokey culture of Trekkies, etc. It's because what you see when you see those folks doing that type of thing, when you see people like the fandom menace um, trying to re-edit uh, the prequels or trying to exclude folks like Rey um, from right. the, the sequels, that's them taking the media away and saying this was for me this was made for me now that's done yeah. well it's gatekeeping but it's also it's such bad gatekeeping that it's them broadcasting out loud that they've interpreted this the this media in this way and that their way is the right way it's without realizing that the reception of the message that comes with the media is everyone's to choose to take away from it right that's where there's a lot of um there's a lot of um positivity that is occurring now in the star trek fan cultures uh which centers around a um uh, the the phrase star trek is for everyone um mm. and it's it kind of goes with uh one of the directions that star trek has gone towards over the course of the past five years which is uh, more LGBTQ representation, more minority representation in leadership positions, you know, showing right. that taking the ideas that Gene Roddenberry originally posited by putting um, Michelle Nichols on the bridge as Uhura and and putting a black person, Dr. Mbenga, in the position of being a doctor, uh, putting Sulu at the helm and saying, uh, yeah, now, you know, let's move beyond just um saying that the 24th century future has moved past issues of race and now let's move to the 24th century future has moved past issues of sex sexuality and gender and so that's actually one of the most amazing things that's been occurring right now in the the recent series uh, star trek strange new worlds you have um non-binary actors on that show you have um uh lesbian characters on the show um, oh, it's cool. very fantastic for representation, but there was a long time for Star Trek where that was not the case. And the reason for that was because Star Trek, like any other property owned by a major, uh, franchise was a moneymaker, uh, that was marketed as a heteronormative homosocial but yet not homosexual property which demonstrated the brotherly bonds of a crew of male colleagues working together 
And this was now, also still the time, you know, if there, if if homosexuality was acknowledged as a phenomenon at all, it was either that man's wearing a dress, yes, or oh, Jack Tripper has to pretend to be gay to have these women roommates, or right. if it's the '90s. Hey, that guy's gay. That's the joke. Yeah. Get it? Right. Right. Uh, it was. It was an era there's, of there's of a wasteland when it came to any representation. Which, anyone listening, th- this is not news to you. No. But, but setting the scene for, and while I'm interrupting you rudely, no, you're fine. To show how smart I am, <laughs> you're fine. It's been. Stuck in my head, I feel I have to say the footnote out loud, and I apologize in advance. Right. It was Marshall McLuhan, not Margaret Mead, that said the meeting Thank was a you. Message. You are correct. It's the other, the you. other mm, medias media. No, uh, with that, I wholeheartedly appreciate. I really, I really appreciate the correction. It has been a long time since I've had my media critique. Uh, 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 subject matter experts um, in, in the forefront of my mind. So thank you for that, Marshall McLuhan. You are correct. All right. So um, so let's go back to anyway, the yeah. Let's go back to as the you last were saying. Bit. So, so yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No. All right. The last bit, the bit that I really want to make sure kind of sticks out because this is this is the the sticker. This is the part that like it really lands is um, the television executive interpretation of star trek and therefore the media representation of star trek when you put it on the cover of tv guide or when you wrote a description of what each episode was about was yeah. written from the heteronormative homosocial and not homosexual position of a, a band of brothers a group of colleagues guys yeah. coming together to solve problems as guys right <laughs> a bunch of dudes in space right solving problems because oh there's a problem ask a man right ask exactly a, ask a straight cis man preferably right. white but if he has to be black or japanese yeah. or russian they'll be i guess they'll be fine yeah and if the women come along that's that's great but really the the men the men are going to solve this problem because men yeah. this is an issue um the 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 thing is um, the level of camaraderie and, and kind of brotherly love and the shared bond that developed on screen between 65 to 68 uh, with Kirk and Spock, it was very intense. And the reason that it was very intense is because it was the idea of Spock as an emotionally tortured in his shell Vulcan who is half yeah. Vulcan and half human having to live between two different worlds trying mm-hmm. to figure out what those things mean for him and his best friend Captain Kirk telling him it's okay to live a little it's okay to be a bit more of a human um, oh. and getting yeah you can see where I'm going with this right that there's never... there's, there's wow. a metaphorical relationship that yeah. even if the television executives didn't mean for it to be there, uh, some of the writers did. Harlan Ellison talked about that when when he was. Writing oh really? Trek. Yeah. Oh, um, interesting. I was the, I was gonna eventually ask. I think if this if anyone on the show like knew yeah. 
that this was going on and leaned yep. into it or not. Dorothy Dorothy Fontana, who wrote some episodes of the animated series and was also basically the first Star Trek super fan, she knew. She talked with the writers a lot about it. She it's in several of her books. The the she did three uh, Star Trek concordances, um, which were like fan perspectives on Trek, where she talked about oh, interacting okay. with the writers about it. Um, and they talked about, they were like, yeah, it was a theme. I mean, you know, these, these men were in love with each other. They were Aww. in love with each other to the degree that they, they cared immensely for each other. And they had come to a point, and this is something that you actually see a lot of in the Trek movies R -R 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 as well. R-R-R-R, came to a point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank but there's a, a, a platonic love yes. for each other, um, officially. There's actually, there's this great discussion that occurs. Star Trek V is otherwise a pretty terrible movie where they find God. Mm -hmm. But um, there's these great yeah, moments. Not there's my these, favorite. There's these great moments in Trek V at the beginning and at the end where these guys are now much older and they they start talking about how they missed the time to have families and how they they missed you know what it meant to grow up and, and grow old and to be you know a, a nuclear family adult and they and they talk about their broken lives together as these three old you know curmudgeon guys and um there's this great line where at, at the beginning where Kirk is kind of looking at, at McCoy and Bones and he very dourly, he says, well, you know, I'm not worried about dying if I climb El Capitan in Yosemite because I know that I won't die. And Spock is like, well, how is that? And Kirk says, well, because I'm not alone. I know that when I die, I will die alone. Um, and this is bookended beautifully at the end of the movie where... Um, uh, Kirk gets beamed up uh, and he thinks that it's the Klingons and he thinks the Klingons are finally going to finish him, you know, that they've chased him all the way to God planet to kill him off and um, he gets beamed up and standing amongst the Klingons is Spock and huh. S Spock says um, uh, he says something along the lines of um, it was only logical that I came and found you Um in order to make sure that you didn't die. And Kirk says, Spock, what do you mean? And Spock <laughs> says, well, if you're you not mean? alone. Yeah, and, 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 and Spock says, well, uh, if we came and found you, then you wouldn't be alone, and therefore you wouldn't be able to die. <laughs> and it's just... I, makes sense. Yeah, it's just so charming, you know. But um, it's these moments... There are so many moments through the original series between the bond that, that Kirk and Spock had between each other where they, you know, through Spock's mind melds, uh, especially when Spock gives uh, Dr. McCoy his entire soul, his Katra, the living spirit between Wrath of mm. Khan and Search for Spock, where these guys have deeper than just professional work, you know, bonds, right? So yeah. all of that being said, um, the LGBTQ community, particularly the gay community and the lesbian community, saw these 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 representations of men showing each other real, true love on screen. And what they took away from it was these men are in love. And this is the love that I cannot outwardly show in public right now in the 1960s, 1970s, 1980s. But this right. is how I feel. And that level of intimacy, that level of love, 
where I have this kinship with another man. This is I I take from this media, and this comes back to the idea of media interpretation and 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 taking taking what you want your cultural appropriation of the media. I take from this cultural appropriate this I take from this uh, from this piece of culture um, a representation of myself, of me, of my community, and. Now, when you take that, when you take all of what I just said, and you think about the fact that Star Trek really survived as a media property due to its syndication between 1968 and 1979, that's 11 years of no new Star Trek media, and yet we got a movie in 1979, and the first Star Trek convention was 1971. So mm. there's a lot of people because of mostly because of Gene Roddenberry had the amazing idea to sell Star Trek as packages, uh, the, the three three season series to various cable channels as a syndicated television, uh, oh, which okay, is yeah, yeah. which which is why it was on all the time um, that, that he was like, I'll get Star Trek out. I'll just sell it as these syndication packages. And that's how he made a shit ton of money. And that's how he was able to. That, that was the seed money for doing Next Generation eventually. Um, but oh, during huh, that time, culturally, 68 to 79, you have kind of the disco, end of disco, into the beginning of the 80s. You have um, the rise of a gay community in America. Not yeah. in an outwardly, expressively way, in the same way that the gay community found more acceptance in the in the, in the late 90s early 2000s but yeah more it wasn't in, quite ellen coming out on the tv no. show ellen right starring ellen <laughs> right right no. right but it was it was more like you know it was more like um uh, that era of time where the gay community in in the um you know, in the cities in San Francisco and, and, and yeah, Las yeah. Vegas and, and Harvey Milk. Right, right. You had the late seventies. Yeah, you had people saying, This is who I am. This this yeah. is a representation of me. And I also see it here in this show, Star Trek. Watches Captain Kirk and, and Mr. Spock care for each other immensely. That is right. how I feel. So where did that what did that kick off? Well that kicked off um, the next logical step, which is and this comes back to media interpretation and um, taking away from a, a cultural property what you feel is um, your love of the property. You interpreting the property the way that you see fit so that you can enjoy that cultural property. Um, it's the, the Which next Which is step. something that's universal. I mean, yes. any, no one is exactly like the protagonist of the thing they like. Right. Uh, the, whether... You know, even if you're the same sex, uh, gender, race, right. color, every all, if you check all the boxes, you still are slightly different. Right. So, you know, it's, you know, just because if it's, you know, you can relate to a person of a different race or a different gender on TV, you can also be like those two, you know, officially straight guys. I see that. I see me and my boyfriend in that. I see right. me and my girlfriend in that. I see that. Yeah. 
yeah, and so absolutely. There's, yeah, there's yeah, yeah. fan communities then that that fall so much in love with these characters, um, and it doesn't matter which property you're talking about, whether it's Marvel, whether it's Star Trek, Star Wars, whatever. There are fan communities that fall so much in love with these characters and what these characters mean to them that they will go off and they'll write fiction, fan fiction, which yeah. is their own interpretive spins on what could happen to these characters. Um, one of my favorite jokes um, that came out of, I can't remember, I think it was Chris Claremont, actually. It was uh, the, the X-Men writer. Oh, yeah, That's Mr. X-Men. Yeah. He, For he's, 10 years or so. He, he had this thing, it was in one of the back of the um, Marvel, like when they would publish letters from the editor, uh, which I remember seeing years and years ago, which was everybody writes fan fiction. The moment that you say, I wonder what it would be like if Batman teamed up with the Avengers, you're writing fan fiction. Mm. Uh, and it was like, it that yeah. stuck with me since I was a kid. Because I remember seeing yeah. that in an X-Men comic when I was a kid. And it was like, oh my God, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big proponent. I like, you know, I've never, uh, I don't recall writing any fan fiction, uh, but I... I'm I'm a fan of it, and I I'm a fan of, you know, whenever on our on our D and D game, yeah. when uh, when you and the others are grumbling about the the dumb new thing Star Trek did or the dumb <laughs> new thing that Star Wars did, oh I can't right. believe they got rid of that, you know I'm always quick to jump in. Just make your own canon. It's yeah. fine. Just be yeah. just because it has the. Just because they say this book isn't official, the book didn't right. disappear from your bookshelf. It's still yeah. there. It, yeah, somebody recently, it. somebody recently um, reappropriated a line from um, How I Met Your Mother, and I, I latched onto it, and I've just I've loved it so much. Just somebody, somebody in one of the fan forums was like, "Yeah, fuck that. Canon is a dream a baby is having." <laughs> wow. And from there on in, I was like, "Okay, that's fine. Yeah, I yeah, love uh, it." I'll, I'll, and that that's uh that's from how I met your mother when um what's his name from when Marshall is uh he's tripping I think he was absent is the episode where they was trying different drinks but anyway um, okay yeah so let's talk yeah, about canon is that's just what the what the the committee voted on that's yeah, yeah. That's, that the, doesn't count the gang of twelve in the boardroom yeah um, smoking <laughs> cigars um but so particularly to what we're talking about. You've got the gay community coming away from Star Trek and saying, yeah, this feels very much like a representation of how I feel. Uh, I want to finish the thought that's in my head Sorry, in yeah. terms of this. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not talking. I, I'm talking like from the perspective of the gay community, you know, a gay writer seeing Kirk and Spock saying, I like this thought, but I need to finish it. So now I'm going to write ah. what does what would it feel like from a storytelling perspective if a um, Vulcan mind meld between Kirk and Spock resulted in them finally, you know, letting all of their mental barriers break down and them admitting their love fully for each other in the same mm. way that I always have to hold my, my, my brick walls up to seem heterosexual. When I go out into a community, what would happen if, you know, let me write this so that I can see it on paper so I can see what it looks like for Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock, uh, even if I can't do it in person. And so that's yeah. that's the beginning of, of slash fiction. And the term the slash concept comes from uh, the the um, 
I'm not sure whether it originally comes from Star Trek, but it seems to have been mostly popularized from Kirk slash Spock. It's any time that you have a slash, the idea is that the two characters before and after are going to fall in love, have a sexual yeah. relationship, something like that. Um, so and um, and then Slash from Guns N' Roses shows up. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's every a, every single time. Right. It's and and then. <laughs> Slash from Guns N' Roses makes out with Slash the Gremlin from Gremlins, and that's a slash, slash, slash. Yeah. Um, slash from... Spike? I think that was Spike was the... Oh, it's Spike. Man, man, it take the air right out of that joke. That's fine. I'm um, sorry. Um, hey, it's Dan in the future from this recording. Um, it was Stripe, not Slash... Or Spike. Stripe. Please, you can delete the email that you've already drafted. Thanks. Marshall but, McLuhan. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not Slash. That gremlin was named Marshall McLuhan. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The, the, <laughs> the, the famous Slash Slash Marshall McLuhan uh, sexual fiction. Yeah, that uh, was published. Gremlins 3. Yeah, that's what ended up getting made into the Twilight series. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Was it because uh, 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 Fifty Bush Shades of Grey was a slash a Twilight yes. fan fiction or something? Yes, it Twilight was. Twilight slash fan. fiction. Yeah, it was a Twilight slash fiction, and then the names got changed. Yep. Yeah. I don't know that's any. Right. Other, I don't know these properties. No, so that's exactly. I just it. know what I read, what yeah, I see yeah. on Wikipedia. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. One of the things that I thought you might get a kick out of is that um, Gail Simone, every once in a while on Twitter, talks about how yeah, she has she's cool. certain she has certain famous she has certain favorite fan fiction artists, and she also has certain favorite slash fiction artists. And there ah. are there are different um, uh, fan art community fan fiction communities out there uh, that kind of serve those uh, the, the the those communities with that content. Um, but cool. let's. Let's talk about the other half of why Trek slash fiction works so well and why it's stayed alive for so long now. Um, first of all, every time that they cast that show, and it doesn't matter which crew it is, which season, which series, they yeah. put a series of... Um, basically action figure looking people you know they all go through the workout <laughs> regimen they got the washboard abs etc uh into stiff suits and they put them on a spaceship and they make life uncomfortable for them and back in <laughs> the in in the 60s during and that's the original, why Riker always had to let loose with those trombone solos so that he could just finally relax <laughs> yeah, oh my exactly. gosh all this pent-up right. energy right you gotta get it out how am I going to get it out? I know. Instead of sex, I'll use my trombone. Um, I'm yeah. going to. This will convince apparently everybody on the ship to, to sleep to with me. me. Yeah, right. Um, so in the 60s, uh, every about third or fourth episode of Trek, they're throwing sexual tension into the mix. Uh, it always gets resolved in a heteronormative, you know, everybody's back to being adult males, you know, and, and, and everybody's cisgender uh, at the end of each episode, right? The now, same... I haven't, I haven't watched very much of the original, original series. series. Yeah. But yeah, was, isn't there an episode where like they get hit with 
you know, oh, some crazy hippie Ray, and now they're yeah. all free love, and everyone yeah. is oh, yeah. doing it with each other. There's that episode, and then there's also the there's the um, the but there's like episode. there's like two women on the ship, so I yeah. guess everyone is, you know, there's like a yeah. long line outside their door. <laughs> Yeah, there's also there's also the sex virus episode. Uh, they did that one <laughs> twice. Oh god, yeah. Oh god, yeah. Is that what it's called? I mean, that's what the fan community calls it. It's the, <laughs> the Naked Time, which was the original one in the '60s, and then they liked the stupid oh idea so much that they that's did it again funny. in the '80s for the Naked Now, uh, and they had oh, the Next Generation crew do it. And this time, Data gets to fuck. Um, wow, I don't I, remember that one. And <laughs> we we definitely watched the Next Generation regularly. I don't yeah. remember that one. Uh, it's right there in between the lines. They uh, they have poor Denise Crosby as Tasha Yar gets close to him and says, uh, "Are you fully functional and capable of multiple positions?" And Dana wow. is just nod, oh, nodding well, his if, head awkwardly. <laughs> <laughs> if Yar was on, I yeah, I think I came in like season two or three as a kid when we watched it. So that, okay. That explains yeah. why I didn't see it. So you have almost 50 years now. The show's been on since the 60s now. Um, you have almost 50 years of them basically taking these Barbie and Ken dolls and uh, throwing, them, <laughs> yeah. throwing them at each other in sexually tension scenarios. And then, Let's get you, you out know, of that rectangular shirt. <laughs> right, right. Let's see what we can do to not have you wear the uniform. Um, and then by the end of the episode, especially for, you know, Roddenberry was kind of the showrunner up to about 87, 88 when Rick Berman took over. And Rick Berman was uh, very much like men television for men's sake. And, you know, the writers can come in and they can do some weirdness, but really, you know, we need to make sure that everybody's back to their same sexuality and their gender by the end of each episode. Um, you had a mm. lot of great original ideas. Uh, <laughs> that that must be, that's such a strange note <laughs> from the producer to get. Yes, yes, you've all had our fun, but everyone must be back to the same gender and sexuality oh, yeah. at the end of the hour. Yeah, I mean, that was it, because the it's idea like was that... On the, when, it's on the poster in the writer's room, the right. like 11 rules of this TV right. show. Now, that was that was next. This generation. is how this is how warp works. Yeah, this is what we call the warp components. Right. This is which which ones we're allied with and who's the right. enemies. This is how everyone's gender and sexuality yeah. must be resolved by right. the third act. Right. And I mean, for next generation, it made sense because next generation was the same Roddenberry wanted to do the same thing with next gen that he did with the original series, which is he wanted to sell syndication packages and make money off of it, which they did. Right. I mean, next gen sure. through the nineties and the two thousands was on every TV station, TBS, you know, the Turner network ran it for a long time. Yeah. Uh, fucking MTV ran it for a while. Um, really? But, uh, like late nights, like one to two o'clock in the morning, or maybe it was VH1, Weird. but it was filler content on still either way. Channels. Yeah. That's um, goofy. Anyway, like, so Next Generation features, it, it, it begins to go in the direction of exploring uh, other genders and the concept of uh, treating, um, of there, there being alternate genders that uh, could be run into. It kind of fumbles the ball with it, and it's not until Deep Space Nine 
where Michael Piller, uh, Robert Hewitt Wolf, and Iris Stephen Bear were able to f almost like fully take the helm and drive that series on their own, that you really get to uh, a series which pushes the idea of gender boundaries. And one of the most famous episodes, it, it, it's famous in the LGBTQ community for this fantastic line, which is just, oh my God, it, it shows up every once in a while in um, every Star Trek group, you know, where there's a, a gay and lesbian community looking for acceptance is this line where Dax, uh, Jadzia Dax, who is a, a, a played by um, a beautiful woman, uh, the character is supposed to have a trill inside of her. And the, the trill is uh, a thousand year old uh, essentially like cerebral cortex with a brain that exists as this worm that only it's it's like huh. only a memory device and it has thousand it has uh i think it's 12 or 13 different other lives of uh, the other dax symbionts um that it remembers and so jadzia can pull from wow. a thousand years worth of memory and so just before Deep That's Space cool. Nine, the story begins, the person that mentored Captain Sisko was this uh, curmudgeonly Starfleet captain, Curzon Dax. And then on Deep Space Nine, who gets transferred over as a science officer, but Jadzia Dax. And there's this great line where one of the Klingons gets off of his ship and um, he goes looking for uh, he says, I heard Dax was on the ship. And um, Jadzia smiles and says, that's me. I'm I'm the Dax. And um, the Klingon runs over and hugs her in a big bear hug and says, Curzon! Oh, I've missed you so much. And Jadzia goes, actually, it's Jadzia now. And he goes, Jadzia! Oh, I've missed you so much. And oh, it's like, I love that. It's trans acceptance. It's trans That's acceptance so cool. 20 years before it becomes even a thing that gets talked about. And it's it's such a wow. great moment, but it was just it was just so well just boiled into the fabric of that of that series. Deep Space 9 is like That is awesome. Yeah, it is socially and culturally it was leap years ahead of um, the rest of Star Trek and in some <laughs> cases still remains so. Um, that's really and I love that this guy like totally you know just runs up to their old friend who looks a hundred percent different and yeah. it's just like yeah obviously you're my old friend right that's right. so cool and oh right I love past it. it yeah yeah Curzon! I love that actually it's that's Jadzia fantastic Jadzia! yeah it's such a great scene um so <laughs> yeah the biggest and then that I and then uh you know, the next series, it was Dax Shepard, which that's where he came from. Right, right. And and <laughs> he's his, his whole job is to go to the Trill homeworld and to get all of the Trill worms to go in the right direction. That's why he got his name, Dax Shepard. <laughs> um, yeah. he's, he's just, he has a little hook and, and he just yells at the worms. Sorry, that was a terrible joke. <laughs> I'll take my L and go home on that one. Um, I liked it. <laughs> um, 
So where's yeah. the uh, where's the dad joke alert? <laughs> um, oh wait, we're gonna need that every forty seconds. My I bad. know, right? Um, so the one of the biggest reasons that I wanted to like talk about the evolution of Trek is because um, the slash fiction remains there, kind of in the background. I mean, it's been there on uh, oh, basically every iteration of Star Trek fan forum, going back to like Usenet. AOL, um, yeah. forums, um, uh, I mean, you know, group FTPs. When you talk about how there was fanfic, I mean, uh, this is a wild guess, but I yeah. would guess in that decade where it was between new content that people were, like, writing their fanfic and their slashfic and selling it at conventions. That is that is a thing that happened? absolutely right. That is absolutely They're like, right. here's my Xeroxed yep. version of the book because I can't have yep. it properly published because of copyright. But here's my, you know, here's That's my exactly hundred it. pages of, yeah. you know, carbon copied paper. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Yep. And there were um, there there. Um, it's really wild because like so much of the early trek conventions it was just kind of flash in a pan and there were only a handful of folks that really did kind of like archivist style activity um uh, joe trimble was one of them um she she was another kind of trek super fan 70s 80s 90s she passed away i think okay. only recently like 2019 2020 something like that but huh. um she I mean, she used to eat at, like, DeForest Kelly's house. She would go and have tea with Patrick Stewart. She was oh, wow. not just a fan. She was, like, part of the blood of Trek. Um, she was in the circle, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's cool. That's, if you ever want to look her up, um, B-J-O, Joe Trimble. Um, hmm. I, I may be pronouncing her name wrong. I think it's just Joe, uh, but I, it's been a while, so I can't remember. Um, but, yeah. She, um, she, and then, um, uh, oh God, the other one that I mentioned who wrote, um, all of, all our yesterdays, Dorothy Fontana, uh, Fontana, Dorothy Fontana, DC Fontana, uh, who wrote under the pseudonym DC, so that it came off like a man, a man. Um, oh yeah, yeah. She wrote a bunch of Trek animated series episodes and she always talked, uh, she, she was one of the first people that did like a whole panel on what it meant to be Vulcan and the, the sexuality of Vulcans and like, you know, oh, okay. Spock, Spock being between, uh, worlds. That's, that's where that whole, you know, repressed gay metaphor for Spock came from is some of the stuff that Fontana talked about. There, there was a lot of that. So she did this kind of recurring thing where she would do a, a, uh, a discussion at Trek conventions and one of those discussions eventually became one of the animated series episodes. An animated series in 73, 74. It was an episode about Spock's past. It was called All Our Yesterdays. Um, that was my next question was when was the animated series happening? Yeah, it was knee deep in the middle of um, the non-Trek on TV content. I mean, the animated series this... was there, but and it was voice acted by all of the original cast, but it was... right. It was like, it wasn't Star Trek, you know, it, I think it was, I think there's only like 15 to 16 episodes and it's really out there. I mean, it's like, you it's get, a lot harder to make the camera shake when it's one frame at a time. Yeah. And it's also really, really hard to take seriously. 
like basically Scooby Doo bad guys showing <laughs> up on screen with the cast of the Enterprise and having Spock go. Well, it appears to be a uh, non-corporeal demon from the planet Xerxes, Captain. And it's like, <laughs> wait a minute. And then the Highland Globetrotters are guest stars. Last week. Yeah, exactly. And it's like you're waiting for like Mama Cass and um, Don <laughs> to show up. You know, yeah. well, gee, you know, how are you gonna get out on this one, Captain Kirk? You know. <laughs> Let's go ask Batman and Robin played by Adam West and Burt Ward. Right, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Batman shows up and he's like, oh, some days you just can't get rid of the Klingon disruptor. Oh, my God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, Jenkins, we can rip Captain. on that one for a while. <laughs> God. Wolgar well, Scoob, uh, I guess it's time for them to go to Red Alert. <laughs> <laughs> very nice last syllable oh thank you thank you did God, the very when people do shaggy they never raise the last syllable the squeal. Yeah, very you gotta get the, yeah, very you gotta good get the squeal at the end there yep, a plus yeah, thank you, i appreciate it <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's go to the rest of the room yeah i'm sorry i'll stop now um so um, um so yeah, the uh i mean this this is like astoundingly open doors open uh communication it seems like between the actual writers of the shows and the fan community i'm like i'm struggling to think of somewhere else you know i mean like the next generation famously if you mailed them a script and it was good enough they would they yeah. would make an episode out of it. And well, I mean, I don't know how often that happened, but yeah, it was, it, it was a, a, a policy. There was a, and, weird, um, there was a weird level of like, um, kind of nuanced control between what Star Trek was allowed to be and what Star Trek was not allowed to be, uh, through the eighties, nineties and the two thousands. And a lot of that was controlled by Rick Berman. Um, uh, it, it, let's get him. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about this guy. There's so many Trekkies, uh, LGBTQ community Trekkies that are like, yeah, fuck that guy. Um, Oh, okay. He's he's responsible for seven of nine in the cat suit for most of the series. Um, (laughs) I mean, that basically is it. Right. I don't have to do that many more. Gotcha. Right. He's also responsible for the female Vulcan on the the series that only ran for a short period of time enterprise he was like in the first episode let's get the female vulcan and the southern guy who's the engineer naked and let's call it they have to go through contamination let's do it oh good grief so there was a lot Uh, of yeah i i mean in the again this is i haven't i'm i'm not a uh uh a, a well-informed Star Trek guy. Right. Um, I I watched uh, Next Generation when it was on the air. I saw the movies up through, I don't know, some of the, probably the Next Generation movies. Right. Um, but uh, the one, like, two series ago, maybe, mm-hmm. where, like, they're kind of inventing stuff don't they have to like everyone has to get naked and like oiled up in order to transport is that a thing yeah no uh, you're 
that, I mean, I'm, I heard that re- somewhere and I'm like, really? Yeah. That's the no, thing. You're, okay. you're pretty much remembering you're, you're kind of hybrid remembering that episode that I mentioned to you, the contamination one and the early years of them. It, it, it was supposed to be them using the transporter for the first time, but those two things were unrelated. Um, oh, that, okay. That, well, I don't want to, this is like third hand knowledge. Yeah. Which so is I don't fine. Know. That get naked and get oiled up. That was there. That was the contamination. Uh, like you need to decontaminate, right? Oh, um, okay. Special decontamination oil. Goo, okay. Yeah, right. But let's so let's take a step back for a minute. So you've got Rick Berman kind of as the showrunner and the producer for many years, um, who basically has final say on the scripts and what makes it to uh, air, right? Okay. Um, that he's got a heavy hand on Next Generation and Voyager. Um, that's a lot of why Next Generation and Voyager are, uh, at the end of the day, very episode of the week and also very um, <clears throat> heteronormative, heterosocial, you know, um, whatever, whatever, if there were any bonds that were formed between a pair of women or between a pair of men, you know, they're resolved as some sort of science issue by the end of the episode. Uh, Deep Space Nine okay. was not his. He did not have a lot of control over Deep Space Nine. It was largely run by another guy who's an executive produced by Michael Piller. And so oh, okay. during Deep Space Nine, there was a lot more that they were able to get away with. Um, as a matter of fact, I have this saved tweet on my phone. I screen capped it where Robert Hewitt Wolf, um, uh, who was one of the uh, two primary writers for Deep Space Nine, he said, okay. you know, I wrote a thousand uh, scripts in my head for how I was going to do a gay episode between Dr. Bashir and uh, the simple Taylor uh, slash spy Garrick. And I just knew at that time when I was writing TV based on who was signing the checks that I'd never be able to get it past uh, the writer's room. But you know, he was like, he was, you know, and he talks about that a lot on Twitter and in conventions. He's like, are you kidding? Look at the chemistry between those two men. They are in love with each other, you know, and um, and it's because, oh, that, I had to I had to look up Garrick. I'm like, oh yeah, that guy. Yeah. I remember the doctor, the yeah. uh, the hologram doctor. No, that's so. This is this is the doctor on Deep Space Nine, who is a young. Oh, I was thinking of Voyagers. No, doctor. that's Voyager. That's the holographic doctor. No, see, so, I'm a bad Star Trek fan. No, you're fine. You're fine. So I'll, no, I'll Aaron, those. I'm bad. Yes, it's true. God it's damn true. it. Yeah, if you can't list registry numbers by memory, then I don't want to be really <laughs> You dumb. fail. Yeah, I don't want to be your friend. Um, no, but... Um, so, oh, Doctor, this guy, yeah. Julian Bashir. Yeah, yes. yeah, okay, I got so you, him. You I have, remember him now. You have young... You, you have uh, that character is this young and enigmatic doctor who wants to strike out for himself and he wants to make a name for himself. And he's like top of the class at Starfleet Academy and he gets posted to deep space nine and he sees it as frontier medicine. And he meets, um, Elim Garrick, who is, who just smiles all the time and says, I just a plain, simple tailor. That's all I am. (laughs) That's all I ever was. There's nothing, you know, I never had any other life than that. Oh, when I fled Cardassia, it was so terrible. And uh, spy stuff? No, I was never involved in it. <laughs> I may have known a lot of people that were in spy stuff. Oh, did I know that one person, that prominent person that was assassinated? Oh, perhaps I did. Oh, but right. no, there was never any bloodshed, doctor. My dear doctor. And it's all the time, my <laughs> dear doctor, right? Those characters 
were like so off-screen gay. It's it, it <laughs> like absurd how off-screen gay they were. And um, basically the reason it wasn't on-screen is because of the television production standard of the time. So there's, um, wow. yeah. there's slash fiction of them getting together, left, right, up, down, and sideways. Uh, there's, there's literally and physically. Um, there's <laughs> fan art of them together as a couple. Um, but I think one of the wildest ones is that there is a... Um, about 10 to 15 no i'm sorry my brain is playing tricks on me because of uh the the covid era covid always feels like it was like a fucking decade um in the middle of the covid pandemic um the guys that play bashir and garrick they got together and they did um they did essentially like a radio play where they read someone's fan fiction uh they read the dialogue for someone's fan fiction and it's hilarious. It's as hilarious awesome. as it is uh, just a tearjerker because it's um, it's this story of how Garrick goes back to Cardassia and um, he accidentally finds his way uh, into politics and he accidentally fails upward into becoming uh, Cardassia's next president. And he says, <sighs> you know, my dear doctor, I'm, I'm so, I feel so bad because... Somehow my phrase "Make Cardassia Great Again" somehow got me elected, and I don't understand what happened. Oh and boy! It's, yeah, I mean it's absolutely that, right? But um, right at the end of that bit, um, they finally, and it's like the fan community just like kind of fell all over themselves when they did this. Um, Garrick finally goes. Um, uh, he 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 calls Doctor Bashir on like Doctor Bashir's like supposedly 50th birthday in the story and and um uh andrew robinson who plays garrick he leans in and he says doctor i have to let you know that i'm dying and um you know bashir uh you know uh, alexander siddick's uh reading bashir and and he does this great he's like oh, well i can get out there you know i can i can i can commission a ship you know uh you know i'll, I'll make sure you know i can bring all the medical crew I, you need and you know, Garrick's like, no, it's, it's, I didn't call for that. I called because I needed to let you know that I loved you before I died. Aww. And it's like, there was such a fan community response where everybody's like, ah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they did it, you know? Yay. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then it, and then there's a sharp left turn and it gets extremely dirty. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Um, and and for some reason, Sonic the Hedgehog is in there too. That's weird. That's, oh, the you're, internet! You're pulling from the wrong fan fiction for, folder mm-hmm. there, buddy. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, isn't the, that what isn't that what slash fic is? It's two characters, and then also Sonic the Hedgehog, isn't that? <laughs> that's that's the slash fic that is like the the. Sonic gets around. <laughs> yeah, that's the we don't talk about that slash fic. Yeah, but uh, no, there's the weird stuff, and then there's kind of so there's there's the stuff that you and I talked about. Um, there's yeah, yeah, yeah. The weird stuff, and then there's the there's twelve people that like this, and uh, we're aware of who they are, and it's really fucking weird, and we're just gonna leave them alone. You know, uh, there's that type of slash fiction as well, and. When I was like a teenager, when I was a like kind of middle schooler going into high schooler, 
I remember loving all forms of Star Trek, and I remember occasionally I would grab these big FTP data dumps of fan fiction to see if there were any stories in there that I liked. You know, it's like, oh, you know, this fills out the story of why Captain Sulu ends up on the Excelsior, or like... Oh, cool, 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 yeah. Why, what happened between when the Enterprise uh, um, goes into Dry Dock at the end of the original series, and when Captain Kirk says, I had to fight with Admiral Nagura to get it back. Well, who's Admiral Nagura, you know? And so there yeah, are yeah, these yeah. great fan fictions on that. And then every once in a while, there would be a slash fiction in that FTP dump. And I would I would read about halfway through, and I'd be like, oh, oh nope, this is not for me. Okay. This is gross. <laughs> oh, no. Not, yeah, yeah. I'm not 18 years old yeah, yet. Yeah, little pimply Aaron. Oh, this is kind of weird, you know. And then I'd kind of <laughs> give up on it, and, because and, uh, you know, it just wasn't my bag. But it was one of those where I ended up knowing about it very early on. And then yeah. years later, when I was in college, um, I took this fan cultures and fan reception class where they talked about Slash and its importance in saving Star Trek. And having been a huge Trekkie and having that contextualized for me, especially when you when you hold a mirror of learning this bit of it up against the official Roddenberry telling, right? Where it's like Gene Roddenberry's biographer talks about Gene Roddenberry was working tirelessly behind the curtains to bring Star Trek back every day of his life between 1968 and 1979, going to every movie producer with a cape on his back and talking about how Star Trek is the message that we need to bring to the people. And it's like, okay, well, it wasn't just Gene doing the legwork. So that was yeah. interesting to learn as I as I That's a kind cool, of like, grew up. That's a cool democratization you know? of the uh, of this giant cultural juggernaut. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's one of the few because there's there's not a lot of properties. There's not a lot of media properties out there that have been saved um, by the fans with such a groundswell. Dallas yeah. was saved in that way. Um, Serenity was sort of Firefly and Serenity was sort of saved in that way. Oh um, yeah, yeah. They yeah. like, and, and now there's the days where you can like, uh, what's it called? The crowdfunding thing where you can yeah. like crowdfund a, a movie of right. an old TV show, or right. you know, or a, a pilot for a new series based on a whatever. Right. So yeah, right. there's that. Yeah, and it's it's just really interesting to be alive during this period of time, media consumption consumption, because it's very different from the way that it was just not like you know twenty years ago when you and I were uh, teenagers, because yeah. you know twenty years ago we're still talking about um we're talking we're two thousand, so we're still talking very solidly. Uh, TV companies having control over everything about the production of the media, the message yeah. of the media, the image, the look and the feel of the media, uh, what messages I want to send. Oh, by the way, we need to you know wrap this up in 45 minutes because I'm going to sell this as a syndicated package and I need, you know, uh, you know, Arthur, who's coming home from his third shift to be able to turn on this episode of Trek. And it doesn't matter whether it's the first or the seventh season. He can just 
watch, you know, Captain So-and-so and, and Mr. So-and-so make their way through <laughs> this episode of Trek, right? Um, yeah. That was then, and this is now. And it's now you see uh, people across the gender spectrum with Twitter accounts, with thousands of Twitter followers that are showing up as bit part actors on Star Trek Strange New Worlds or on Discovery and you know they they just That's they're so there. cool. They tip their hat and it's you know I am trans and now I'm the bad guy, you know, or I am in love with this other woman and now we walk off screen, you know, and just perfectly normal. It's just yeah. part of the storytelling. And I will tell you what as a Trek fan and also as someone who considers myself, you know, a friend and an ally to the LGBTQ community, there is nothing that entertains me more than watching old, grizzled, um, uh, 70s, 80s era Trekkies that are in their 50s and 60s now, the boomer Trekkies, get on these forums yeah. and go, well, this isn't the Star Trek that I... It's like, no, no, it's not. And thank the fucking right. Lord it's not. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Thank yeah. God it outgrew you. <laughs> <laughs> so. It reminds me of uh um what you're talking about. Reminds me of um not not from a fan involvement, but from yeah. a um a I hate the word intellectual property that's yeah, been around. No, it's been the around term for IP and Trek is very very they're very close bedfellows um oh i know it's yeah. i know it's just such a like legal term it's stupid but um but another ip that's been around for a lifetime and has recently become very uh inclusive is uh did you ever watch the supergirl tv show no but i know kind of sort of it where was, you're going because i remember seeing stuff about this on twitter so yeah yeah well it was they did a season on i think cbs and then they moved over to cw uh -huh. and it started out as like yeah girl power was basically the thing and then it turned into um oh well also her sister is gay oh and also uh you know on this planet they do things this way oh and uh, also and they brought in another main character who is trans and oh, cool. and the actor i'm sorry it, i don't i actress you're not supposed to say actress anymore the actor playing her is trans okay and the character right. is trans oh, and so okay. like that's cool um and i was like hey right on cool um but yeah, that's another one where, I mean, you know, DC Comics has been around for, like I said, for a lifetime. And Supergirl, a character, has been around since, I want to say, the 50s? Question mark? Supergirl, yeah, definitely. At least um, 50s, 40s. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, to see that, yeah, just, uh, you know, embracing the there's more than two types of people in right. the universe right. <laughs> and in your town. <laughs> it's, and it's, it's really it's interesting just super that, cool. Yeah. It's really interesting that, um, modern, uh, television and media has finally now reached a point where they can, they can just do that. Right. And they don't have to spend the time going, you know, uh, you know 
and, and now everybody's straight again. You know, it's, it's yeah. really nice that that's no longer a thing. You know, it's that not going to fly in Peoria. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. We, we can't sell this to every freaking country in the world. Yeah. It's right, like, eh, right. It's okay. It's not me. Well, actually, there's, there is a small uh, population in Peoria that this would absolutely sell to. So, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're getting, we're getting our you know, our 1 million viewers from somewhere. So yeah. we'll take, we'll take a hundred from Peoria. Sure. So that's, that's my, that's my, my slash fiction and, and why it saves Star Trek basically spiel, uh, my, my kind of, uh, that's cool. And, and yeah, it's, it, I've always and thought it that's was interesting super neat. that it, that's interesting that the earliest was that they, that we know of is, uh, when you said the earliest we know of, and then you talked about uh, Sherlock Holmes, I was mm-hmm. really thinking it was going to be like Arthur and Lancelot or something. Right, right. <laughs> they were like... <laughs> now, yeah, no. Um, well, I mean, maybe there was earlier, but, you know, there apparently there was, you know, something existed in some way, shape, or form, and this is where I'd have to go back and I'd have to redo some of the, the research that I did about a month ago when I was reading up on this. But there was a... There is a contingent of folks going back 40s, 50s, 60s uh, that that it was the Watson was always a woman crowd. And that was the thing that stood out to me when I was doing the, the kind of That's interesting. Yeah. Um, the other one that I can see if I can pull is um, there was an article when I and read up on this. And then they've literally done that on the. Uh, was it? One of the one of the main networks had a Sherlock Holmes show where I didn't watch it. So, but I think I think Watson is a woman. Maybe Sherlock is a woman. But it, one of one of the two of them was gender swapped. If that occurred, that's not one that I'm familiar with. I haven't seen that one. Um, yeah, it it was like Sherlock was out and everyone was like, wow, the BBC Sherlock is really cool. But then meantime, like ABC or CBS or someone had this other Sherlock show. They're like, right. Hey uh, guys, can you actually watch this one? <laughs> uh, also that'd be, yeah, right. that'd be cool. What do you think guys? <laughs> Sorry. No, we'd rather watch uh, Benedict Cumberbatch be freaking amazing. Basically. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Elementary. That was the name of it. Uh, Elementary okay. with uh, Lucy Liu. Yeah, I, I, okay, that one I have. Yeah, Lucy Liu is Joan Watson. Okay. Huh. Yeah, no, no, that's that one. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's it. Oh, uh, yeah, there was one last thing that I was going to mention, which is coming back to the, um, coming back to the way in which these uh, characters are received by people and the kind of, you know, you know, people taking away what they want from Star Trek. Um, One of my favorite examples of people taking away the sexuality of Star Trek, whether, you know, in whatever way they'd like, um, is actually this, this cute little moment in the, 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 the um, documentary movie Trekkies. And I, I went searching for this clip on YouTube and I just couldn't find it. But there's this um, there's this young lady. No, she's not. Well, uh, she's a woman, and 
she um, she's either Australian or British, but she's talking about how she's obsessed with Tom Paris, who is the helmsman for the Voyager. He's the 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 pilot for the Voyager, and she's yeah, talking yeah. about she's like she's just and she's just got this very pepper pot voice. She, oh, I love him so much, and he's he's so beautiful, and I just I wish I could run very handsome through man, his yes. hair. Yeah, right. <laughs> she loves him. She loves him to the point that like he, she sings this little rhyme that she came up with, and she kind of she she like uh, her face blushes and she kind of hides her face and she's a little flirty and she says, "Well, this is this is a bit of lines where it gets a bit sexual, but I'm not going to do that part." And it's like Aww. it's so cute because it's like this. It, it, it's the, the biggest reason that I mention this is because that movie Trekkies did a, a really good job of destigmatizing the concept of Trekkies as being, you know, the the buck the bucktooth nerds wearing uh, the Captain Kirk uniform and more than right. just these are just people and they're yeah. receiving this media and they're taking away this media in ways that is that are important to them, you know. Um, yeah. the uh, I think it was a really big like that specific movie was a, a, I think a big step in uh, you know, destigmatizing nerd culture and yeah. making it and making it the you know pop culture. I agree completely. Now, yeah, I everybody think knows all this stuff. You know, yeah. the fact that everyone knows who Ant Man is is right. ridiculous. Right. <laughs> you know, we just we just had a whole series of Moon Knight. Right, right. <laughs> like, which was amazing. By okay, the way. we've like uh, officially. We're you know we're no longer the nerds. Yeah, Excellent. right, right. The nerds have inherited the earth. Um, yeah, there it. was a there was a similar movie to um, there was a similar movie to Trekkies that came out around the time that Iron Man two came out, which is just before the kind of the Disney Marvel universe like really kicked off. Which was it was called like Super Fans or Mega Fans or something like that. And I know okay. like Kevin Smith like shows up in it and he does some interviews sure. in it. it wasn't directed by him but but he he shows up a handful of times but it was to marvel comics the same thing that trekkies was to star trek where it was mm. basically a an hour and a half movie to say look we're everywhere and we just like this stuff and sometimes yeah. we take away from it different messages you know and sure. um, it did the same thing you know, it talked about how, you know, there were there were members of the LGBTQ community that liked X-Men for the message, you know, where it's like, we're not mutants, we're, we can be accepted, you know. Yeah, and in so. the 80s, more explicit in the 90s, but in the 80s, there was some, they won't let us say it, but these two are girlfriends. Right, exactly, yeah. And it's like, I, er, and then when they... A few years or a couple couple few years ago when they just like completely upended the x-men universe yeah. and they were able to, do, to kind of reinvent how mutation works i don't want to do any spoilers but oh my god go read the uh x-men the uh those two series of uh, okay. right. anyway um but now they're like they're because you know 30 years has passed they're like we can finally show yes these two are an item 
yes, these two are an item. Yes, this person is like this. Oh, it's so satisfying. Right. These like th- threads from the eighties that are are being resolved <laughs> joyously, not that in a, is... like a tragic, you know, kill the gays way. And like a no, look, they're it's great. Look, that they is worked. yeah, it's so immensely satisfying to see that finally coming to conclusion. And I'm less of a Marvel and head in than the nineties, but yeah, I'm really glad did... to hear that. When I'm trying to remember when I guess it was the early two thousands, mid two thousands when they said uh I when they uh Iceman came out as gay and they they were able to tie it back to stories from the sixties where you're like, Oh yeah, this thing happened this way. Oh, that's why that happened that way. And it was right. just these really neat ways to go back and parallel things from 50 60 years ago and right. it was yeah it's like wow that well okay 40 years ago right. but yeah they've you know they went from mutation being a metaphor for race right. to mutation being a metaphor for sexuality to mutation being a metaphor for gender to mutation you know it's 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 right. great they've yeah. you know but um, bum evolved as uh, as society has right. with you know what is the what is the thing people are talking about and you know dirtbag shitheads are mad about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it is just so cool. Uh, I'm particularly so I'm glad to hear that. And and now I'm like very curious to go read some of the X Men that you just described because um, I you know it was always essentially like a veiled metaphor in the 90s and and i'm really excited to see the other side of it now i know they've been playing with that lightly in the disney uh marvel tv the mcu but um i'm really honestly happy to hear that the comics have taken it the one step further that it needs to go so that's oh yeah and and have been for a long for a long time yeah um all right yes the the x-men books it's written, uh, Jonathan Hickman ran it, and it was House of X and Powers of X yeah. is the names of those two books. And, oh, those ones. And it's, okay. And it's House of X and Powers of Ten, but it's the Roman numeral X Powers for Ten. X. Okay. And the way that they reinvent everything is just, oh, they're doing this. Oh, they're doing this. Interesting. Oh my God, they did that. So House it's of just, X and Powers of X. So I knew yeah. about that one. I'm gonna have to go check that out. Oh man, right. you I'm gotta read them. That. They're so good. And cool. and they alternate. Cool. So it's you read number one, you read number one, read number two, you read number two. Uh, okay. Oh cool. man, All right. there's so it's some of the best comics. Oh, I'm ever. excited about that. All right. Cool. And cool. it just cool. like cool. it reinvents everything. <clears throat> And you're just like, whoa, they freaking did it. They All did right. that. I'm going to have it's to go grab myself uh, some graphic novels, it sounds like. It's been yeah, a while man. since I grabbed some new ones. So. All right. It's cool. wild. I'm thinking. If they, if, I, get I, on a. Uh, Get the get uh, Marvel Unlimited. It's 10 bucks a month. That's the yeah. price of two or three issues. You get like 60,000 issues or something stupid like that. I'm also thinking that at some point. Um, 
I'm thinking Dark Empire, the comic, may end up uh, arriving at your doorstop mysteriously. Just so I have it on the it. app. Oh, it's you in do? my queue on Marvel Unlimited. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to it. I'm going cool. through the stuff. I'm right. in the, I'm in the mid '80s right now of all my. Gotcha. I, I'm kind of like reading everything chronologically, so I'm okay. like, That's I'm in fair. like 1988 right now. Right. All right. Well, you're not too far away then. I guess it's 95, 96 is maybe yeah. earlier. Anyway. Um, all right. So that's it. That's that's my thing around slash fiction and how slash fiction basically saves Star Trek. Um, it's, that's awesome. It, yeah. I, um, I, I, I always found it to be a neat little tidbit. And it's, it's, also, a, it's also neat because the rest of star trek fandom in general likes to kind of collectively go no oh, no we, that didn't happen but <laughs> it absolutely yeah. did you know and so and I, there's I not a whole lot of other i don't know maybe there were i mean was there a lot of other uh cultural touchstones for lgbt folks in like the early 70s i mean like rocky horror didn't come out for another five years not really i mean not that i can think of um there, i mean neither a, of us were born yet so we don't uh, know but well, the one that I do remember from the, the fan cultures class that I took was, you know, people talked about how um, the, a lot of the lesbian community talked about how um, Wonder Woman uh, was the, uh, it was their show, you know. How it was oh, like sure. They kind of reappropriated it for themselves. And apparently there was also Wonder Woman fan fiction basically as a result of Linda Carter being very inclusive and still being very inclusive today. So, oh, right um, on. I don't know more about that other than the magazine Slick, though, you know. Linda Carter plays the president on Supergirl. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, they oh, do lots of so cool charming. stuff like that <laughs> where it's like, here's this character. And the actor walks in. And you're like, oh, my God, it's you. Wow. Cool. That's so cool. Oh, that's great. Yeah. All right. Well, I think I am going to wrap it up for tonight because I am hitting that uh level of just complete exhaustion um who's who's singing us out is it you or me uh you open so i'll close all right uh this has been the dan and aaron like a um i am dan i am aaron fletcher smith who am i uh, <laughs> been, been one of those weeks man i tell you what i am aaron fletcher smith. this is dan grubb uh dan sing us home Oh, <laughs> <laughs>